0: Well, it's a privilege to be with you this morning as we continue our fall kickoff, focusing on what we have identified as the three essential connections. I hope you've been here the last two weeks as Pastor Greg shared compelling messages on the first two, the importance of gathered worship and the importance of biblical community. Last week's message was powerful, one that we need to to hear today, especially in a church like Lake Avenue Church. The aggregation of large numbers of people does not equate with congregation. It's one of the greatest challenges we have in adult ministry, for that matter, any of our ministries in a large church, helping people find true community where people know your name, your joys, your sorrows. Your pain, your struggles. True community where people love you enough to confront you when your life starts going in the wrong direction and who will lock arms with you as you follow Jesus Christ together. That kind of community doesn't just happen, it's a choice. It takes effort and intentionality. I guess that's probably true no matter what size the church is, but, but we probably feel it a little more acutely in a large church. Even for myself, uh, my family and I have been here for 16 months, and to even look out and say, I know a lot of these people now is an encouragement, but that takes time, so you need to be patient, but stick with it and be intentional. Do you know that God loves you? And He desires so much that you would experience what our text today calls the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you even know what that is? I'm not sure that I fully know what that is. But it sounds like something greater than what I'm experiencing today. It sounds awesome, wonderful, something... I deeply want. Last week, Pastor Greg stated that everything God wants for you cannot be experienced in the worship service. We're glad that you're here in this room this morning. But if gathered worship is your only experience of church, of the body of Christ, you're missing something great. Gathering together with God's people for worship is the first essential connection but we must move deeper into community we must get to know one another we must be willing to walk alongside one another to spur one another on to love and good deeds and to encourage one another that kind of community is essential connection number two and then we must serve one another Serving is essential connection number three, and this is what we want to explore today. Now, here is the obvious expectation of a sermon on serving. There's a great need in our community of our size for volunteers. You are needed. Please identify an area of need and sign up today to serve. We need you to serve. In fact, I could pull out some tactics using guilt, shame, manipulation. I could use some threats to try and get you to serve if you're not already doing that. In fact, we won't let you leave today until you've signed up to serve. Well, if that's what you need to hear, then let's just pretend that's what I did. But that's not what I want to share with you today. I don't so much want to talk about the need out there, as real as that need is. I want to talk about the need to serve in here. The need in your heart and soul to serve, to serve others. You see, you were made for wholeness. This idea of shalom, when everything is as it should be, whole, complete, at peace And the three essential connections are not so much about the program of the church, but rather they're about the mission of the church, becoming and developing wholehearted, fully engaged followers of Christ. They're about your experience with God. Now last week, Greg confessed that a big church can often feel impersonal, organizational, institutional, cold, pragmatic, strategic, consumer-driven. In some ways, economies of scale may actually be working against us. Um, Now, I've served in small churches as well. And believe me, the grass is not always greener on the other side. But the reality of what church is to be like, as God intends it, is much more organic, relational, Life giving, faith building, missional, and interdependent community that loves and serves one another as well as a lost world. So I hope you're seeing these three essential connections are vital to your own experience with God and your maturity in Christ. They're not a three step, check the separate boxes off and you're done kind of program. In many ways, they're inseparable. We are to be a worshiping, serving community. Not just individuals who worship, are in community, serve, check the box. It's like a chemical reaction where all three of those are needed and if one of them is missing or is in short supply, the reaction just doesn't happen. And the reaction that we're looking for, that we should be expecting... Is what our text describes so well that we would become mature, that we would attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As Pastor Greg said last week, by God's grace, through His power, we are going to become the kind of community God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. Well, turn with me to Ephesians 4 as we examine this significant text on what it means to be a Christian community. And two themes that stand out the most in this passage are those of unity and diversity. The Bible gives us a beautiful picture, a word picture, to help us understand the essence of what the church is. And the church is described as the body of Christ. It's a picture in in which there's this unity as a body, and yet there's diversity in the many parts of the body. Unity and diversity in perfect harmony. And Paul emphasizes this in verses 1 to 6, starting in verse 3. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then in verse 7, he celebrates and focuses on diversity in the body. The fact that Christ has gifted each one of us. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it the god of the universe has taken time to think about you personally and to determine how to best gift you and enable you to serve in the body of Christ now if you look a chapter or so back ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 paul tells us there ephesians 2:10 you are god's workmanship The word that Paul uses here for workmanship is beautiful. It's the Greek word, poema. Poema. Does it sound like any English word you may know? It's where we get the English word poem. Do you see what Paul is saying? You are God's poem. Imagine a writer consumed with the work of creating a beautiful masterpiece, carefully choosing each word, pouring his heart and soul into the poem until a work of art is completed. That's what God is doing with you. And he's placed you in his body, the local church, so that you might grow and blossom into the work of art that he created you to be. I know that some of you aren't sure if you believe that. You have a hard time imagining that God has a personal plan for your life. Well, this is part of the challenge of living by faith. Part of living by faith means that I believe what God says more than what anyone else says, even more than what I may think or feel. I may not feel like I have anything significant to contribute to the church, but living by faith means that I trust the fact that God's Word says I have been gifted. And no matter how I feel, I will live according to God's Word and choose to serve in the body of Christ. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, right at the beginning of our Bible, we read, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, because man was created in the image of God, we were intended to reflect to the rest of creation a degree of God likeness. That image has been severely stained and distorted by sin, but we still have our primary identity as being created in the image of God. However, there are some attributes of God that I as an individual have a hard time reflecting. For instance, the Trinity. You won't find the word Trinity in your Bible, but the Bible clearly teaches that God is a triune being. Basically, that means this. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, you have to be really careful when you try to explain how that can be Some of the greatest arguments and heresies in church history have resulted from misunderstandings and misinterpretations of this truth. So I'm not going to try to fully explain it today, but I will observe that to me it would appear that as a part of who God is, we see a perfect and absolute unity of being. There is one God. But in that unity of being, there is a diversity of persons. Now, God is not three beings. He is one being who is also three persons. Now, if you try to understand that from a strictly rational perspective, you will go insane. I, as a human being, am one being and one person. I alone cannot reflect the image and truth of this attribute of God. But here is where I believe the church can do something that no one person can do. We as a church are to reflect to the world what God is like. When people see us as a church, they should not just see a group of nice people serving God. They should see God reflected to them by the church. Unity and diversity are essential components of this image. If we are not united then we will not reflect the image of God. But the flip side of it is this. If we are not diverse, then we will not reflect the image of God either. Our natural tendency is to be drawn and attracted to people similar to ourselves. But if we had a church full of people who are all the same, we would not reflect the image of God as well as He intends us to. A church that is diverse... People with different backgrounds, different gifts, different personalities, if it is united, can reflect the image of God better than just about anything else. So if you're saying, I'm not sure if I fit here, I'm not like some of these people, I don't have the gifts these people have, then I tell you what God brought you here. Because we need you. Can you say amen? We need you. Will you say that with me? We need you. Now verses 8 to 10 give us an interesting picture of how every one of you has been gifted by Christ. The picture here is of Christ as a military conqueror leading his captives and sharing the spoil. Only in this case the captives are not his enemies but his own people. You and I who were once held captive by sin and death have now been taken captive by Christ. When Christ descended, He came to earth as a man and experienced the depths of humiliation and human suffering. But when He ascended to heaven, He experienced the very highest exaltation possible. And as part of the victory celebration, you and I have become the recipients of God's grace. We don't deserve it but He has distributed gifts to every single part of the body and that includes you. Okay, you need to hear this. If you believe you have nothing significant to contribute to the life of the church and to the work of the kingdom of God, then you have said more about your belief in God than you have said about yourself. You have said God has not gifted you When the reality is that God has taken time to gift you personally and to do it in such a way that you are an essential part of the body of Christ. Now in verse 11, Paul names some specific gifts. And it's interesting that they all relate uh, to leadership. He says it was Christ who gifted and gave to his church some people who were to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, there's a lot that could be said about each of these gifts, but I think Paul says most of what needs to be said by pointing us to the purpose of these gifts in verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service. Other translations say to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Did you catch that? These gifts are given to leaders to prepare God's people for, four works of service, the work of ministry. Uh, that may come as a shock to some people. I know it came as a shock to me early on in my ministry as a pastor over 20 years ago because I loved doing the ministry. I loved sharing my faith, leading Bible studies, teaching God's Word, planning the ministry calendar, leading the worship, you know, being in Professional ministry was great because I loved doing the ministry. Wrong. (laughs) This passage was like a big buzzer going, "Eh," incorrect to me in the way that I was leading people as their pastor. I saw that by my doing the ministry, I was robbing God's people of the privilege of, and the responsibility of doing the ministry. Now there's many people, pastors included, who see it as the responsibility of the pastor to do the work of the ministry. After all, that's why we hired him, isn't it? Do you see how unbiblical that is? It's not the role of leadership to do all the ministry. It is the role of leadership to equip and prepare God's people to do the work of the ministry. Now, leadership is to be involved in doing the ministry, but it should always be done in such a way that models for others and involves others in the task. It should have the view of training others who are probably better gifted for that ministry, but who haven't been equipped yet, or perhaps they haven't been asked yet. Now, the role of God's people, the members of the congregation, it's obvious, It is to fulfill the calling that we have been given in Christ to do the work of the ministry. Works of service that God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, so some of you might be saying, hey, at the beginning you were talking about experiencing Christ in all his fullness, and now you're talking about doing the work of the ministry. Well, that doesn't sound very awesome. That doesn't sound much like an experience of God. Well, I think part of what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians 4 is that doing the work of the ministry, fulfilling the calling that you have been given in Christ, uniting with others in the body of Christ is critical to your experiencing God. So now let's continue as the text moves to the importance of... Of of unity. And in verse 12, Paul focus, his focus shifts from diversity to unity. When the people of God are equipped for ministry, they're doing the works of service God prepared in advance. What happens is the body of Christ is built up. In fact, Paul says that's the purpose of the individual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul goes so far as to say, don't exercise your gift unless it can be done in a way that the body of Christ is built up. The gifts that God has given us individually are not for us just to enjoy ourselves. They are to be shared, and their purpose is for the strengthening and building up of the church. Now, God's people are to be equipped. The body of Christ is to be built up so at least two things might happen. Look at verse 13. First, that we would have unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, that we would know what we believe and we would know personally the one in whom we have faith. And secondly, that we would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now this statement is a climax in Paul's teaching to the Ephesians. I'd like you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul shares with the Ephesians what he is praying for them. And the focus of his prayer in chapter 1 is enlightenment. Look at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And he prays that they might understand all that they have in Christ and the power of Christ that dwells in them. And then in chapter 3... Paul again tells them what he is praying for them. The focus of this prayer at the end of chapter 3 is not enlightenment, but it's empowerment. Verse 16, I pray that He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit. And in verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He prays that they will not only understand God's fullness, but they will begin to experience God's fullness. And now in chapter 4, Paul reaches a climax in this theme of experiencing God, and it has to do with the church. The answer to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians to experience the fullness of God is found in verse 13. As God's people are equipped for the ministry, as we use our gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, As we reach unity in our faith and in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, we become mature. And Paul says that means we will be attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul told them how he was praying for them and now he just told them what it's going to take to get there. Like it or not, the church is a critical player in your personal experience of God, experiencing God is not just a challenge to be met at a personal, individual level. Experiencing God, if I can put it this way, is a team sport. Our success individually depends on our success corporately. Yes, I have experienced God and do experience Him on an individual level as I spend time in God's Word, in prayer in personal worship. But I think perhaps we will not experience all the fullness of Christ until we begin to experience it as a body and we recognize that our individual spiritual maturity is linked to exercising the gifts that Christ has given us to serve in His body. Now this goes back to what I said at the beginning. Serving in the church is less about the need out there, as real as that is. Because even if there was no need out there, there would still be a great need in here. Because if I am not serving, if I am not using my gifts to build up the body of Christ, then I am starving my soul. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like your soul is starving? Well, maybe you need to serve. That might be part of it. You know, there's great personal benefits to serving as well as for the community. And it's one thing to hear that from the pastor. But I thought it might be helpful for you to hear that from some members of the church. So I've asked a couple people from the congregation to come and share a bit about their story and how serving has impacted them. And first, I want to invite Rich Caston to come up. Rich, come on up here. Let's give Rich a hand as he comes. Now, Rich is married with uh, four children, got to meet them between services. He has his own business, and he's very active in serving in our men's ministry here at Lake and with the uh, men's steak fry that's happening this coming weekend. And as I think about that, Rich, uh, four kids that you're raising, uh, managing your own business, you must be a busy guy. Why do you serve at church? and What got you involved in serving here at
1: Lake? Well, that's a that's a good question. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot now that you say it. <laughs> uh, well, in truth, I, I was raised at this church uh, since I was seven. I've been here, and I've watched my parents serve uh, in, in the various things that they've been involved in. and And it it really just seemed like an obligation to tell you the truth okay. when it started up for me something of a, a moral imperative that what we needed to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as 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 I learned more about what serving really was, and, and as I matured as you're saying uh, i really learned that it was more out of a gratitude that i started to serve and out of thankfulness that i really wanted to just give back what i believe god had put in me to the church well well, i
0: I appreciate that honesty that you know the initial call to serve uh, may have just been out of the sense of obligation look there is a need out there uh, but as you served you began to realize it was it was meeting a need even in your own heart absolutely and uh and i guess now, as you look back on that, how have you been blessed in what ways have you been surprised at what serving has done in your own life?
1: Well, it is a complex uh, thing serving uh, as I have uh, grown in, in wanting to um, go outside of myself and learn more and uh, I've, i have a heart for sharing, and I always wanted to I wanted to share what i 've known what i 've learned uh, i 'm a musician and I play concerts out for outreach events and and uh, but, even in doing that, i've learned so much more about myself and about what can really be done, not just in serving yeah. but in uh, in sharing but in also what i've gained from it it's an amazing yeah. thing that happens when you do that
0: well one of the things you you mentioned in the first service that that you gained through serving that may have was a surprise is you gained community
1: yeah and that's the other part that is so unbelievable is that through. Uh, Me joining up, especially with the men's ministry, which has been just a great uh, benefit to me and and a privilege, is that I have this band of brothers now that I serve with that I don't think otherwise I would have ever met. I mean, it's not just friendships. We Uh pray together, we Uh cry together, we laugh together, and it's an amazing uh, thing to have that kind of community.
0: And and that's a great observation because uh, as you think about the three essential connections, worship, community and service it's not like there's some linear relationship you come to worship then you find your community and then you serve it might be that the best place for you to find community is through choosing to serve
1: yeah absolutely and that's been true of you and i know it's true of
0: many other people that's one of the surprising things how god has blessed them as they've chosen to serve they've found those brothers and sisters who will lock arms and walk alongside yes, with absolutely. them and do that. Well, what would happen, Rich, if I if I just released you this morning and said, you know what, Rich, you don't have to serve at Lake anymore. You're
1: done. Wow. Who do you know? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> would you
0: feel freed up and wow, this is great?
1: I absolutely, truthfully, would not. Okay. Um, yeah, just to see what's happened here. No, I would feel like that was a great tragedy. Tragedy, actually. Okay. Um, I'm so thankful that actually this church isn't that, though, really. I mean, there's so many places to serve here, and I'm yeah. so thankful that... I don't think you'd say that. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to. So thank you, Rich. Let's give Rich a hand. Right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.
0: Thanks. And let me encourage you men uh, to come to the Steak Fry this weekend. Rich uh, will be leading some of the, the... He has a band, and we'll be doing some of the singing. Then. So uh, bring a friend, bring your son, bring your dad. it would be great. I want to invite Shannon Muscat to join me up here. Shannon? Come on up. Let's give Shannon a hand. Now, Shannon is uh, married, has two children, 10 and 7 years old. And uh, and Shannon and her family have actually served in a number of uh, places here at church, but uh, she's very involved in our children's ministry. And so, uh, Shannon, um, tell us about that. You know, as I thought about you and, and raising two young children, all the demands of a home, Why would you give more time and serve at church, and what got you involved in doing that?
2: Well, serving specifically in children's ministry was not my idea. (laughs) In my uh, Sunday school class, it was just sort of required. You come, and you drop your kids off in uh, the nursery or wherever, and you go, and you get fed and they're like okay you guys are dropping your kids off you need to take turns taking care of your kids so that's kind of how I got started but I loved it it was great
0: okay so so again it was sort of out of a sense of obligation and the accountability of of your class your adult class that said hey we need to get out there and serve and that and that was you shared in the first hour that was 1996 so it was before your kids Or 94, before you? Way before kids, yeah. Way before kids. uh, But tell me, as you have been faithful in doing that, how has God surprised you? And and what what kind of blessings has it brought you and your family?
2: Well, I think pretty much everybody here has served, and you know you get all kinds of blessings from the Lord when you do something for Him. For myself personally, and I'm not going to cry this time, for myself personally, I saw my children... Um, being impacted by what we were modeling. Uh, and they had a desire to also serve. And that's, as a mom, that's just a really beautiful thing to see your children learning as they look around at the other people they're going to church with and going, wow, we want to help too, we want to serve too. And so that, that's really so, so special So early, early
0: on as you were serving in children's ministry, your daughter Claire, who's now 10, mm-hmm. said, hey, Mom, can I come with you?
2: This moment is her actual first moment as a real volunteer because she's finally old enough. She's been <laughs> helping wherever she could all along, but now she's officially a volunteer and she's quite excited about it. So,
0: And, and what I thought was so encouraging about that testimony was through uh, your service, your children have grown up uh, just assuming, taking it for granted, that part of being in the body of Christ is serving And and they want to do what mom and dad have done, and they want to serve. In fact, she's doing it right now, serving in our children's ministries at 10 years old. Uh, What a blessing that is. Well, Shannon, I I guess, how would you feel if I just said, you know, you've got enough to do. I just release you. You you don't need to serve at Lake Avenue Church anymore.
2: God does not need any one of us to do anything, right? Right. But he's out there doing something right now everywhere, and we need only to look for what he's doing and look for a place that he will allow us to, to help, too.
0: So, so you won't accept She's if I glorious. release you in this? Don't do it. Okay, I won't. I like it. <laughs> Great. I, I see Tracy down here going, No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Great. Let's, let's give Shannon a hand. Okay. Thank you. You can take the mic down here. You know, our children's ministries are actually in great need of volunteers. So I want to make sure you do know there is a great need out there. And um, I know Pastor Tracy and and maybe even Shannon will join us up here after the service to meet with anybody who would just like to find out more about how they can serve um, in our children's ministries. And by the way, the new Seasons magazine is out. Um, Hopefully you'll pick up a copy. And there's a great article in there. On um, the Muscat family. So uh, take a look at that. It's a blessing. Well, both Rich and Shannon have been blessed by serving, but even as you've heard, it has blessed others, their families, the congregation. And in verse 14, uh, I want us to get back to the text and wrap this up. As Paul tells us, what happens in a body where there is unity and diversity? the result of unity and diversity working together, first, there will be doctrinal purity. Truth will prevail. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. There is a need in the church for the accountability of God's people. In a church where people are not being equipped for ministry, where the body is not being built up, where there is not spiritual maturity, there is a tremendous danger and susceptibility to false teaching. If the people of God are not equipped to study God's word and to understand scripture on their own, there can develop a dependency on one person or on a small group of people to bring them Spiritual truth. God intends that his people would be firmly anchored in the Word of God so they will not be blown back and forth by every wind of new teaching uh, that comes along. When you have a church that is doing what God has called them to do, the people are united in their service to one another, united in their faith, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're being built up and maturing, you have this accountability that develops, that protects a church against false teaching. A second result of unity and diversity is in verse 15. We will speak the truth in love with one another. Now Jesus told his disciples that there was one characteristic that was to make them stand out from the rest of the world. He said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a sign of unity in a body which is diverse. Jesus didn't say they'll know you're my disciples by the miracles they will see among you. Jesus didn't say they'll know you're my disciples because of the wonderful teaching or the beautiful worship service you have. He didn't even say it would be because of the good influence that you would have on the world around you. He said all men will know you're my disciples by the kind of relationship that you have with one another. And that's why a diverse group of people united to one another in love brings glory to God about as good as anything else. There may be churches out there um, where there's plenty of truth, but because there's no love, nobody sees God in the people. The world around them, frankly, wants nothing to do with them. Now there's other churches which emphasize love, These are more attractive on the surface, but if their love has no foundation of truth, God is not in it. And the people remain infants, tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching. But when people see a church that's characterized by both truth and love, now that's something that gets people's attention. Because Jesus said, it is by that that all men will know you are my disciples. Brings glory to God because it reflects His image. And another result of unity and diversity is we are united with Christ. Look at verse 15. We will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. There will be a feeling of health and vitality in the church that comes when the body is working the way it was intended to work. And look at this word picture in verse 16. From Him, that is Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's a picture that brings everything together. This whole body joined and held together, this unity, and then the diversity, held together by every supporting ligament as each part does its work. And I'm reminded of the picture that Pastor Greg has shown the last two weeks of this picture of, of the body. One of his colleagues from Africa described African Christianity. He has this big body, large numbers, little head, small knowledge of doctrine and God's truth, and little legs uh, in terms of equipping and, and doing the work that God has for them. And then he tried to uh, parallel what would a picture of North American church look like. It had this big head, not sure if that's really true, but big head, a kind of a smaller body and these scrawny little legs. And wondered, well what's the picture supposed to look like? How do we get that picture to look in balance? Were the legs appropriately sized and strong, a healthy body and a right sized head? It seems to me you you can't get one without the other. And the serving part, the legs doing what they were meant to do, is an essential part of creating health for the whole body. Remember how Paul began this section in verse 7, to each one of us grace has been given and now he ends the section by saying that the church will grow and be built up in love as each part does its work. Now one of my favorite subjects when I was in school was history. For some reason I enjoyed learning about what's happened in the past, why it happened and my imagination takes me back to the events as I'd study them and i try to picture what would it have been like to be there. And this was easy for me to do when we lived in Europe. We lived in Budapest, Hungary for, for years. And I would sit at home and I would wonder what took place in our neighborhood. Did a Roman live here? Was there a battle that took place on this ground? And one event that took place nearly 500 years ago which affected Hungary deeply and it it uh, affected the entire world, was the Protestant Reformation. The impact the Reformation had on our world was tremendous, and it was multifaceted. And there were were a number of principles which came out of it. Uh, I want to highlight three great principles that were part of the backbone and fuel for all that happened. Three teachings regarding the Christian faith. The first was the authority of Scripture, Scripture alone, and not the traditions of men or the teaching of church officials, would be the authority for the believer. Secondly, the principle of justification by faith alone. Man was saved only by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, not by any work or merit of his own. And then a third principle, which relates directly to what we've been studying today, is the principle of the priesthood of all believers. There was no need for a human priest to stand as a mediator between God and the people of God. Jesus Christ is our great high priest and as a church we stand as one body, not as a body of spiritual clergy and less spiritual laity. The Reformation brought a renewed responsibility to the people of God. Everyone in the church was now expected to read and study and know the Word of God. So the Bible began to be translated into the languages of the people. The people in the church now understood their responsibility to do the ministry. It wasn't just the job of the priest. We have all been gifted and now must exercise those gifts in the church. Three great principles that even today are still defining beliefs for the church. However, I think some have taken the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers too far. Or maybe they've distorted it. And this is the error which can happen in this area. It's one of independence. It's just Jesus and me. I don't need the church or anyone else. I have my faith, I have my Bible, and I have a relationship with Jesus. So why do I need the church? I hope that part of what you're hearing in this series on the three essential connections is that the body of Christ, the congregation of God's people, is a critical part of God's plan for your life. It, you simply cannot grow into the kind of mature Christian that God intends for you apart from the body of Christ. Now, I know I may be preaching to the choir right now, meaning if you're here, you may already understand this, but maybe you know people who have an attitude of independence. Maybe they were hurt by a church or have had other bad experiences, and now they just want to do it alone. I tell you, that is not what God intends for you. We need each other. There is to be an interdependence in the church, a diversity of people united together as one body, and the result will be maturity, growing up, becoming all that God desires for us. I'd just like to take one last look at this passage. And see what would happen if we changed a few words. Starting in verse 12. What if God's people are not equipped? What if they're not prepared for serving? What if each part does not do its work? Then the body of Christ will not be built up. We will not reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We will not become mature. We will not experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We will not experience God as He intended it. We will be infants. Truth will be an elusive thing. Our speech will not be characterized by truth and love. We will not grow up. The body will not be fully connected to the head Jesus Christ. In fact, the body cannot function because there will be no supporting ligaments to hold it together. You know, there's no place in the church for the 80-20 rule. Do you know what that 80-20 rule is? You know, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And they say that rule is true in so many parts of culture in the world, 20% of the people giving, 80%, etc., etc. That's just not the way it's meant to be. And, and what I just described there could happen to us if each part does not do its work, if the people of God are not prepared and, and do the work of the ministry. In fact, the evidence that this has happened is all over Europe Beautiful buildings which once represented life and community as a body are now decorative shells, pieces of art, but the life has disappeared. I tell you, the Reformation is not over. There will always be the need for churches which will stand firmly by the truth. Churches which hold firm to the Word of God. Churches which believe in the grace of God and the need for personal faith. Churches which will equip God's people Churches that prepare God's people for ministry so they might grow up and mature. Churches that will be united in purpose and faith. Churches that will take seriously their commission to go and preach the gospel. Churches that will make disciples of Jesus Christ. There will always be the need for those kinds of churches. And that's what we want to be. That's what we strive to be. But the only way it will happen and continue to happen is by the grace and the power of God and if we do it together. All in favor, please say amen. Amen. Well, before we close quickly, I want to recognize, I want to affirm and commission those who are serving in some particular area. So just be patient for a minute as we do this. And I'm going to invite some people to stand. So would you, if you are serving in children's ministry, maybe you're not going to be here because you're serving, but uh, if you have or you are serving children's ministry, would you please stand? All right, and let's wait to applaud because I've I had some others I want to recognize. If you're serving in youth ministry or student ministry, would you please stand? If you're serving an adult community, maybe it's a small group or your class or in men's ministry or women's ministry, would you please stand? If you help with our, our worship service, if you're a greeter, if you're an usher, if you help serve communion, did you know it takes almost 100 people to help serve communion here on a Sunday morning? Would you stand? If you're part of the technical crew or the, the sound and video, if you're in the choir or one of our musicians, please stand. If you're a mentor or a tutor or others who are helping with our foundation, serving our community, would you stand? Uh, If you help with Cards with a Cause out on the plaza, one of the ministries out there that's helping to support our community ministries. Uh, If you're part of the Axe Thrift Store, I'll even say if you've given something to Axe Thrift Store, we'll give you the credit. Stand up. (laughs) If you're part of a prayer team, an outreach team, if you're an elected leader on the ministry council or a ministry division, if you're a missionary, would you please stand And uh, those who come to stuff our flyers in the worship folder on Friday morning. You know, there's just so many ways. And I I know I've missed some people, so forgive me. But if, if there's any others, just stand. Now, first, let's affirm them and say thank you. Now, stay standing, please. Okay, stay standing. Now, those who are around you, if you would gather, what we're going to do, we're going to commission them. So if you'd reach out a hand, if you want to stand and put an arm on them, and we're going to pray and commission this uh, great group of people here among us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we remember from your word in Acts chapter 6, as, as the church was growing, the need for people to serve was great. And the apostles, the leaders said, choose some people from among you to serve, and they did, and they brought them to the apostles, and they laid their hands on them, and they prayed for them. We do that this morning with those gathered here around us who serve in so many ways in so many areas, Lord, and we commission them in the name of our Lord Jesus that you will bless them, and you will bless others as they use their gifts in these many areas And Lord, we pray that you would raise up others to join them to be a part of what you are doing in this body to bring glory to yourself in the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.